Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Could you feel it? When we took the time to pause in silence and to think about all of those who had paid the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I could be free, did you feel the presence? When we took the time to call the names of, of this members of this family of faith that we have known and loved, did you feel it? Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. When you pause and remember, it does something to your soul. You and I know that death ends a life, but not a relationship. And so it is that we come on these kinds of days to remember, to grow still so that we might know that presence, that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I've always loved that scripture. It comes from this letter to the Hebrews, our scripture lesson today. Now, some people call Hebrews a book, not even a letter. It is interesting, we don't know for sure who wrote it. For a long time, people said it was Paul, but most scholars don't believe that now. Some say it was an apostle, a disciple, a follower of Paul, or maybe Timothy. Though there are some scholars who say, no, it was Priscilla. Now, you remember Priscilla was married to Aquila, and these two were of great faith, and they worked side by side with Paul in the early church. If it was Priscilla who wrote this letter or book, she would be the only woman to write a book in the New Testament or Old Testament, which is also probably why her name isn't on it and she wasn't given credit for it. We don't know who wrote it. What we also don't know is when it was written, though most scholars believe maybe before 70 when we had the destruction of the temple. And we don't really know who it was written to, the Hebrews, But what you can ascertain from the story is that it was Jewish people who had become Christian. And these Christians were now being persecuted for their faith. And because life had gotten so hard, they were thinking about falling away from the faith. So this author to the Hebrews wanted to say, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Don't quit. You are surrounded 
by this great cloud of witnesses. Remember, you are being given the strength to run with perseverance the race that is set before you. Look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for hope so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's no doubt about it. You and I, when we come on days like today, when you focus on all the people you've loved that who have died, members of this family of faith, we will come to this altar and we will call the names in our hearts of others that we have loved who have passed away. We remember those whose names we do not know who sacrificed everything so that we could be free. When you come, that, that's a somber feeling. And yet it is so important that we take the time to remember because life is hard. And we live in a time where there is still war and terrorism and such cynicism. We live in a time where we all still can struggle with health and finances. If we're not careful, we grow weary and we lose heart. That's why it's important that you have days like Memorial Day. That we have Sundays like today where you stop and we come together to remember. You know, Memorial Day has a really fascinating history. Memorial Day really goes back to the Civil War, the first anniversary after the Civil War. People have asked and wondered and looked, when was the first Memorial Day service? It was finally decided the first one was May the 5th, 1866 in Waterloo, New York. Many places were claiming to be that first place of worship, but it was finally Lyndon Johnson in the 1960s who told us the truth. It was Lyndon Johnson who decided it was Waterloo, New York on May the 5th, 1866. Though we know that year there were many other services like in Columbus, Mississippi. There near the Battle of Shiloh. It was in the last of April. That mothers of these Confederate soldiers came on the anniversary of the end of the war to put flowers on their graves. And as they were going to put flowers on their graves, they looked over and saw the graves of the Union soldiers. And they knew there were no mothers. And so they put flowers on those graves too. We know that the first service held at Arlington Cemetery was 1868. And it's been held every year since. And you'll be having seeing services held at Arlington Cemetery tomorrow. It has been a patriotic day. A day in which people remembered those who died in the Civil War for years until we had World War I. And once we had World War I, then they broadened the idea of Memorial Day to say it's for all men and women who have died defending our country. And then we had World War II. And then Korea. And Vietnam. And Desert Storm. And so it goes. And Memorial Day has become this patriotic day where we remember all these men and women down through the years who have sacrificed so that we might be free. And I think that is so important to stop and remember. You know, recently I saw the movie, The Darkest Hour. It's all about Churchill and England, 1939, 1940, having to make that stand, the decision that they would stand up against Hitler and tyranny and how much suffering 
so many went through. The United States finally became involved and we went to, on June 6, 1944, hundreds of men stormed the beaches from Normandy to Utah. The Canadians, the British, the Americans, these allied forces, thousands died to finally push Hitler out of France and that we might all be free. Whenever I go to London, the place I love to go is St. Paul's Cathedral. What a beautiful place. And on the far end of the cathedral, when you walk in the door, there is the American Memorial Chapel. You walk there, they had to repair it, that part of St. Paul's after the war. And they had this beautiful stained glass. And it has the names of every state and, and the, uh, an eagle and all these things. But you go up on this platform and there's this book under glass. And it has written in that book the names of every American soldier who came and fought and died. That England and France and America and Europe might be free. Every day they turn a page and then they turn a page so that every name will be read and remembered. When you stand there, you feel something. You feel this presence as you remember. I think that's important. But you know, Memorial Day has continued to evolve and it is no longer just about patriotism and war. Now you will go to cemeteries and you will find so many flowers there in the cemetery or in columbariums as people all remember their loved ones who have died. Memorial Day has become a time for us all to remember those we loved who have entered the kingdom of heaven. It's why as a family of faith, it has become customary on that Sunday before Memorial Day to call those names and to light candles and to remember those who are part of the family of faith. Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it does something to your soul. This morning I want to continue with this sermon series, Dreams and Visions, because we have said it is through God's Holy Spirit that you and I can continue to have great dreams and visions for our lives, even when life has become difficult. When you think you're going to grow weary and you lose heart and you want to quit, we find it's important that you stop and remember. I want us to look at our scripture this morning. Three things I want to say about that. First of all, this author to Hebrews says, remember that great cloud of witnesses so that you will give thanks. You know, Memorial Day, a day like today, it's, it is a somber day. There's no doubt about it. When you think about those that you've loved, that you have lost, when you think about those who suffered and sacrificed so we could be free, it leaves you somber. But it's all supposed to be a grateful day. A day where you're giving thanks. You remember and give thanks because it was what was done for you. You know, right now we've had this controversy about our national anthem. It's kind of come back into the news here just recently with the idea of NFL players kneeling during the singing of the national anthem. Been going on for a couple years now and other decisions were being made. Regardless of where you stand on that subject, I felt it was important for us to stop and remember 
why we have our national anthem, how we got it, what it's supposed to do for us. It was about 10 years ago I had the opportunity to be in Annapolis near Memorial Day. It's when there's the graduate from the Naval Academy. And oh my goodness, everybody running around town is in their whites. Moms and dads are there and brothers and sisters. Everybody is so proud. I mean, you, you can't help but just feel how special it is. Annapolis is a great town of history. And as I saw all these young men and women in their dress whites, you know, I couldn't help but pray, oh God, may they never have to go to war or give their life so that we can be free. I couldn't help but, but feel grateful to them. Now you wandered around town, it's such a town of history. I, I went to St. Anne's Episcopal Church. It's right in the center of town, the old town. All the streets come out from it. Because in those days, in the 16 and 1700s, when you built the town, you put the church right in the center of it because everything revolved around your faith. And so I went into St. Anne's, and, and when I did, the first thing I saw was a plaque that said, Francis Scott Key worshipped here. Francis Scott Key, you remember. Francis Scott Key was there, but it was here we satisfied or we beat the British in 1783, the Revolutionary War was over. We signed the Treaty of Paris. We were now a free country. By 1812, they were back. They came back and attacked. They went to Washington. They, just, they burned the White House. They burned the Capitol. And now they wanted to move on Baltimore. Francis Scott Key was there in Baltimore. It was in Annapolis. And he rushed to Baltimore. And what he heard was his friend, Dr. Beans, had been kidnapped by the British. The Dr. Beans was someone who was a great patriot, but a wonderful physician who took care of Americans and British loyalists and soldiers. Well, he'd been taken prisoner. And Francis was afraid he would be hung because he was such a patriot. And so he went to all these people who had leanings of, towards England and got them to sign letters how he had taken care of them. And he wanted to go negotiate for his release. He managed to get permission and was brought out to this British warship and was able to meet with the admiral and present this and ask for Dr. Bean's release. And it was granted. But the admiral said, but you can't go right now because you've seen everything and we're about to attack Fort McHenry. You see, the British knew they had to take Fort McHenry if they were going to come into the British harbor and take Baltimore. And so suddenly they began this attack at dawn. It would go on for 25 hours shelling Fort McHenry. And here Francis Scott Key was on board a British warship while the attack was going on. What a strange set of circumstances to see. There was so much smoke from all the gunfire going on for more than a day. And Francis wondered, how in the world can these people be so brave to be strong? Could they hold out in Fort McHenry? It went on all through the night. You could not see. He did not know in the morning which flag would be flying. Because right before dawn, all the firing ceased. Little did he know the British had decided they couldn't take the fort. 
And when the sun began to come up, there were the stars and stripes flying over the fort. He was so inspired that he sat down and began to write these words. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at twilight's last gleaming? Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched so gallantly streaming and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave? Or the land of the free and the home of the brave? On the shore dimly seen through the mist of the deep, where the foe's haughty host in dread silence repose? What is that which the breeze or the towering steep, as it fitfully blows, half conceals, half disclose? Now it catches the gleam of the morning's first beam, in full glory reflected, now shines in the stream. Tis the star-spangled banner, O long may it wave, o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. O thus it be ever, when the freemen shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. The words were published and they became incredibly popular. And it would be within a year that they decided to put the words to a tune and they put the words to an old British drinking song. And it becomes sung by so many and appreciated and enjoyed. And do you know how long it took before it was made our national anthem officially? 1931. More than 100 years before it became officially our national anthem. But it was an anthem that was written out of a sense of incredible gratitude to those who are willing to be in that fort and risk everything so that we might be free. When you hear the national anthem, it ought to move your soul more than just pride. It ought to be gratitude for those who have been willing to sacrifice so that we can be free. It is when you and I each year stop and take the time to think about those who gave us that gift, but to think about those who have loved us individually and given us that gift, It's when we stop and remember those in this family of faith who have given so much that we might live. It's when we remember the grace of Christ. You remember and you're grateful. So secondly, it's because you are grateful that you find the strength to persevere and to run the race that is set before us. You see, the Hebrews... They'd grown weary and they'd grown so tired that they wanted to quit. And this author was trying to say, don't quit. Don't grow weary. You have been given the grace and strength, so run that race with perseverance. That is, you've been blessed in grace. Now live that grace. Run that race. Do not quit. 
You run the race of grace because you have known grace. It was last, about last Friday, about a week ago, Marsh and I were at home. We got a call from our daughter, Kelly. She called and she said, I've been in a wreck. And your first thought is, oh my. But she quickly added, and I'm fine, everybody's okay. You know, those are words that every parent or spouse always hates to hear. But she went on to tell us that she, she lives up in Lafayette, Colorado, just north of Denver, south of Boulder. She had been out running errands. She did not have the kids with her, our four grandchildren. She was by herself. She had pulled up to a stoplight. She was stopped just sitting there when a car just plowed right into the back of her. You know how that feels when that suddenly happens. You're sitting there not doing anything. We've all had, you just get run into, and it shakes you up. She got out of the car, and there was this young teenage girl, maybe 16, 17 years old. She was driving this older Toyota, and she had just smashed in the back of Kelly's beautiful SUV. She walked back there, and here was this girl getting out, and her chin was quivering, and she was starting to cry. Kelly looked at her for a moment, and then she hugged her. She hugged her, and she said, it's going to be okay. We're all all right. We're all going to be fine. It's going to be okay. This girl still looking at her with such shock and dismay that she had crashed And Kelly said, is this your first wreck? She kind of nodded, yes, yes. And Kelly said, you know, I remember my first wreck. I'd had my driver's license for a month. I hit a man who was sitting still from behind. It was my father's birthday. I remember I had to call because I knew he and mom were at lunch celebrating. It was, it was okay. This is going to be all right. You know, these kind of things happen. Hopefully this is the worst that ever happens for you. Because, you know, later on, a couple years later, I was driving and I, I went to a filling station and I was filling up my car with gas and I was with some other friends and I forgot to take the, the pump out of the car and I drove off and It wasn't a breakaway pump. No, it pulled the pump over and blew up the gas station. I hope something like that never happens to you. But by now, this girl, she had gone from crying to smiling and laughing. Kelly said, it's going to be okay. So she got out her phone, took a few steps over to go call her father to tell him that she had had a wreck. And Kelly said, as she walked over to make that call, I just stood there and I prayed that her father would be as gracious to her as you and mom had been to me. And as she told me that, I thought, we were gracious, but it's because I remember when I was 16. I had been over visiting this girl and I left her house and my mind was a long way away. And I, I backed straight down that driveway and I never looked behind and smack into a car that was parked on the road. I remember I had to call my mom and dad and tell them I'd had a wreck. And they were gracious to me. And maybe that's because, you know, my mom 
Well, she grew up in a home where her father was a Methodist minister, Reverend Athel Shepherd, wonderful man, and his wife, Lauren, she was wonderful. Grandmother was one of the most faithful and kind and loving people. My mom and dad had been so loved by my dad's parents, my mom's parents. They created a home of love. They had loved me. Marsha's parents had been the same. We loved our kids. And I said, Kelly, what you just did, you just left a legacy. You will be remembered. This girl will never forget you. When she is growing up, she will always remember her first accident and how you treated her. When you know grace, you are called to live grace, even when it gets hard. And maybe you weren't so blessed to have such wonderful parents and grandparents and great-grandparents who all showed grace, but we all have come to know the grace of Christ. And it's because we all come to know the grace of Christ that if you have known condemnation and you have known criticism and Well, it stops with you. It's not what you live. You've made a commitment to live in a spirit of love and kindness and graciousness because you have known grace. So all that dysfunction stops with you. You choose to find the ability to persevere, to run a race that is before you, even when it is difficult. We remember We remember a cloud of witnesses that surrounds us and we are grateful and it gives us the strength to run the race differently in grace because we have known it. And so third, it truly is the author who wants to say, know that grace, remember and give thanks and you can live it because you have hope You look to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. You're focusing on Jesus so you don't grow weary. You don't lose heart. You don't quit on life or yourself. You have hope. Now, I've been telling you about Alison Massari for a couple weeks now. You know, I found her to be an amazing lady. I, I strongly encourage you. You have Sunday afternoon. You have a holiday tomorrow. Go online, Google, go to YouTube. Look up Allison Massari, M-A-S-S-A-R-I. I think she's a lady who has a whole lot to say. She grew up a good Catholic, a person of strong faith. I told you how 20 years ago, 1998, she was 32 she, she was there in Florida. She had gone to a movie, was driving home when a person going 60 miles an hour crossed the center line and hit her head on. This horrendous explosion and wreck. Fire everywhere all around. People gathered who had seen the wreck, but no one wanted to move through all the wreckage and the fire. They knew whoever was in that car was dead. But the truth is, Allison Massari was conscious the whole time. She was trapped. The door was jammed. The window was up. She could not get out. And the car was burning more and more and she began to burn alive. She knew she was going to die. And the thing that she said reflecting back that was interesting is what bothered her the most was she was going to die alone. 
she was praying when she looked through her window and right against the window there was a pair of eyes. She would later find out the man's name was Roger Pepper. He looked in. He did not think anyone in there would be alive. He was stunned to see that someone was alive. He motioned to her. She turned her face away. He knocked in the window, kicked it in. He lifted her up and pulled her out. He said, I didn't think I'd be able to get you out of there. It was like somehow God was lifting you out of there. He drug her across the street to safety. She was on fire and he took his own hands and he put her out. She had burns over 50% of her body, second and third degree burns. They rushed her to the hospital. She would survive. And when she finally had recuperated enough, the thing she wanted more than anything was to meet this man, the intense eyes of power who had looked at her that night in the midst of the flames. They contacted Roger and he came to the hospital. He was 6'2", broad shoulders, strong and big. She said exactly what I knew he would be, but he came in and he was carrying a big pizza and two strawberry milkshakes. And she said he was so humble, so meek. He sat down beside the bed and all she could keep saying was, thank you, you saved my life, you saved my life. And he said, Allison, I've been to Vietnam. I've seen horrible things. But the thing we lived by was, you leave no one behind. I didn't expect anyone to be alive in there. But I knew I had to see. When I saw you were alive, I wasn't going to leave you behind. They would stay in touch, continuing to talk. He was always checking on her. It would take Allison years to heal physically, mentally, emotionally. But she has made it back. And she has a story and a message to tell But through so much of this time, Roger was always calling to check on her. And he told her the rest of the story. Because the rest of the story was that Roger, when that night happened, was in a very bad place. Six months before, his wife had died. She died from cancer. She was the love of his life. And when she died, he went into this black hole. He wasn't able to do anything. He quit his career in marketing He got a job as a nighttime security guard, just enough to pay the bills. He became a recluse. He started looking at his life and he didn't like what he saw. And he said that night he was sitting at home watching TV all alone when he just felt this nudging. It was like a voice that was saying, there's a new young man starting as a security guard at a new place. Go see him. And he said, that wasn't like me. But I got up to go see this young man. It was an hour away to a town where I had never been before. And I was pulling up because the guardhouse was across the street from where your wreck was. That night when two people looked at each other in the burning fiery wreck, two people were healed. Allison would continue to get better, but so would Roger. It did something to his soul. He opened his heart to love. He began to date. He got married again. 
He went back to his career in marketing. But every couple of months, he was always calling to see how Allison was doing. And it would be such a struggle and there'd be times she would down and he would call and she'd say, thank you for, for pulling me up and out of that car. And he always said, Allison, I will always be here to pull you up. That is the promise of Christ. That he will always be there to pull you up. When you grow weary and start to lose heart, the author of the Hebrews said, remember you're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. Be grateful. You have known grace and you will be given the strength to live grace, to run that race by looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. It's where you will have hope. The one who pulls you up so you don't have to lose heart. You don't grow weary and quit. If you won't quit, you can be sure. God will pour out His Holy Spirit and give you vision and give you dreams. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.